You are listening to Mars Attacks podcast, a member of Talking Metal Digital and the Cast Iron Ring. What's happening? This is Tommy Victor from Prong and Danzig and Ministry. Hey, this is Russ Lam from Symphony X. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owen. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Giscard. Hey, this is Kirk Winston of Down, Crowbar, and Kingdom of Faroe. Hey, everybody. What's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attack. Hey, this is Chuck Billy. Bobby Blitz from Overkill. Hi, this is Chris Poland. Hey, this is John Oliva, and you are listening to Mars Attack, so crank it up. Hi, this is Isabel Sada of UDO, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. This is Vinny Apsey from Kill Devil Hill, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Let's do it! Hey, everybody, this is Monty Pittman, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Get your pole. Welcome one and all to episode 91 of the Mars Attacks podcast. We kick things off there with Mustache 
and the track Speed Metal. Great, great track and great band. Uh, Swedish, if I'm not mistaken. Scandinavian region, no doubt. And uh, obviously, if they're Swedish, they're going to be from the Scandinavian area. But uh, yeah, what we have lined up for you today is a very cool interview with Monty Pittman. He is currently the guitarist for Madonna, uh, put out an album, The Power of Three, earlier this year, and I really love it. In my opinion, it is one of the best albums to have come out this year. Uh, I'm actually lucky enough that this interview and the next interview that we'll have for you actually contain people that I feel... Uh, have put out the best two albums that have been released this year. Monty Pittman's The Power of Three and Prong's Ruining Lives. So, uh, Monty actually played with Prong for a time there. Uh, he's been in and out of Prong on several occasions, has recorded and helped write parts of two albums, uh, still maintains a, a good relationship with Tommy Victor, they both spoke very highly of one another when their names are, are brought up during both of these interviews. And uh, I think that this will be a, a really cool interview for people to check out. And hopefully it will you know, get some of you people out there to purchase the album or download it off of iTunes. He makes a really interesting analogy uh, regarding purchasing individual songs. <laughs> on iTunes and things like that. So uh, the the one thing that I will say is that his album is one of the few albums that I've heard in a long time. And I would actually say that the Prong album, and, and actually every year there's a few albums that are really worth checking out from beginning to end. In my opinion, the Monty Pittman album is worth checking out from beginning to end. Uh, there are a lot of albums out there, though, that lack, you know, that sort of, that special something that makes you want to listen, you know, from beginning to end. There are so many groups that, and I'll bring this up during the Prong interview, you know, so many groups that had hits or got on the radio, even if it was underground college radio or, you know, a group like Prong that had spurts here and there on Headbangers Ball back in the day, or growing up in New Jersey, you had a radio station like WSOU that played them all the time, you know, played their hits uh, that they had on, on that level, you know, on metal radio. You have so many bands that just rely on the sound or something that sounded like, you know, something that got them on the radio. There, There's... You know, one of my favorite bands from the 90s happens to do this every single album they put out. In my opinion, they have one track that has a distinct bass line opening and the chorus part is a certain way with heavy aggressive guitars. And then they have a ballad <clears throat> because they they became, you know uber popular outside of the hard rock and metal community uh, with a ballad. So every album they have a ballad. That sounds like that acoustic ballad they had back in the 90s. 
And it almost makes me feel like, God, you know, why? You know, you're, you're such a talented band, songwriter, however you want to look at it. You know, don't rest on what you did on in the past. You know, keep pushing and moving forward and keep doing your thing, you know. And I, I really think that this album, the, the Power of Three by Monty Pittman, has a lot of different things that are thrown at you. You have metal stuff that's thrown at you. You have hard rock that's thrown at you. You have stuff that could be considered, you know, alt-rock or grungy, 90s-sounding, you know, hard rock or alternative rock, you know, however, however you want to look at it. You know, I, I hate all these labels because things just seep in, you know, from one thing to another. Things cross over into various different genres that marketers have labeled and i think that ultimately if a song speaks to you if an album speaks to you as long as it is good who cares what it is you know so uh, i mean you can like hard rock metal you could write like pop music you can like you know techno or or house or whatever hip-hop or rap you know as long as it, as long as you like it, you know who cares. You know, at the end of the day, you know I know that there are a lot of people out there that, you know, before they can admit to liking something, they have to look to the left and right, see who's around them, and then say, "Oh yeah, I do sort of dig that one Madonna track." You know, in order to say that, they have to make sure that the room is cleared, so that it doesn't affect their metal cred, <laughs> whatever. You know, we we all like different things. That are, you know, not hard rock or metal, you know, maybe even classic rock stuff that sounds nothing like the metal and hard rock that we profess to our friends and co-workers that we like. So, so there's that. What do we have going on? I want to remind you guys to check out Talking Metal Digital, the stream, which I help program with Mr. Mark Striegel. We have 24 hours of nonstop hard rock and metal going. And we also have the live shows that we do. I've been doing Mars Attacks Live, which is sort of a warm-up to the shows that I do with Mark Striegel on Fridays. This past week, we had John Astronomy joining us as well, which was a lot of fun. Man, I absolutely love doing these shows. My week can be a complete disaster, as it was, you know, this past week and it's just all right well uh, let's get to friday night so we could talk about some music and you know get the word out there about some cool you know acts that we're into or some some metal bands that we like you know uh so it's it's a whole lot of fun and you know i know that along with this podcast i need to be more consistent with that stuff for you guys and for me as well you know unfortunately just things are just crazy at the moment things are even crazier when you have a crazy neighbor <laughs> let me just leave it to you like that not that they'll ever hear this but you know there's a there's a certain overkill album that i i could dedicate to my uh soon-to-be neighbor thanks to his shenanigans this week so uh, Lily Allen song, um, <laughs> a whole ton of different songs. You guys know where I'm getting at here. But, uh, anyway, 
yeah. So so check that out. Check out our Talking Metal digital stream. It is always on my homepage on MarsAttacksRadio.com. You can check it out on a widget right there on the right-hand side of our homepage. If not, if you dial up Live 365 on your smartphone app or on your tablet or even on whatever computer you're using, if you go to Live365.com and search for Talking Metal Digital, you'll find our stream there. And the live shows are usually... 8 p.m. I usually start out at around 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. And Mark joins me usually about an hour later. If Mark isn't available, you know, I try to line up other other guest hosts. You know, we've been getting some pretty good feedback from people uh, regarding that. You know, I've been, I've been having uh, Scott from Focus on Metal on. I've been having Chris from Decibel Geek Podcast. So... Uh, it's been a ton of fun talking to those guys as well, and I am scheming with uh, with some other podcast hosts to do an, another series, and, and what, uh, what I'm going to be shaping things up to do, the Classic Albums column is going to be returning shortly. It should be returning in about two weeks if all goes well. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to have another series that I'm going to start up, which is going to be more like a mini-series type thing where we're going to have a, a topic that's going to go on you know, through um, a few episodes. I don't know if it's going to be once a month or if it's going to be you know, um, back-to-back where, where I'll release the episodes, but there will be like different uh, you know, like art themes that go from one episode to another and we'll see what kind of feedback we get with the um with the first series uh will be kiss related (laughs) because we know that we get uh good feedback with that and what we'll do is is we're gonna you know see what you guys feel if it works out we'll transition and do this with with more artists and we may even get you know artists involved and and we'll see it should be a lot of fun. At least for me, it'll be fun. I hope you guys feel the same. And as far as the Talking Metal Digital is concerned, just remember that outside of Mars Attacks, we do have Talking Metal, we have Talking Rock, and we also have one-on-one with Mitch Lafon. So check out all those great shows. You can either subscribe to them individually via iTunes or you can go to a, str- a specific stream that we have set up where if you subscribe, you will get every podcast that is associated to Talking Metal Digital. So instead of having to go out and have three individual or four individual feeds, if, if you don't want that, you could get one where you get the whole shebang included. Also remember that you can find Mars Attacks as part of Cast Iron Ring. And we have a lot of great shows over on the Cast Iron Ring. We have Couch of Metal, which Bob Nalbandian heads up. He also does Shockwave's Hard Radio and Shockwave's Skull Sessions podcasts. Uh, We have Focus on Metal with Scott, as I mentioned before. We have the Heavy Metal Book Club, which features John Caddick, who also does Iron City Rocks. Iron City Rocks also features Aaron, who's on Signal to Noise. Uh, you have rock from Radioactive Metal. 
And let's see, we have Wiki Metal. We have the Heavy Hand Half Hour and the Wicked Ways Rock Show all the way over from the UK. So check all of those great shows out. You can find more information regarding that on castironring.com. So there you go. Uh, Remember to support what I do. We still have this microphone drive. I, I need to pay for this great sure microphone that i have here there is a donate button right there on the right side of the home page there's also an affiliates link under there stores that we're affiliated to where if you click on one of the links and make a purchase we get a small kickback you don't pay anything more but we get a finder's fee per se and there's also the amazon link which is where most of you are purchasing things now no one is putting a gun to your head but if you are going to purchase on Amazon, please do so via our links. We also have an Amazon store that's set up that features all of the great music that you hear during the Mars Attacks podcast. And there you will find not only the music featured during this episode, our classic album series, but all of the episodes since we've started up the Amazon store Uh, It's somewhere in the neighborhood of like 15 to 20 episodes, if I'm not mistaken. Don't know the exact count, not that it really matters, but if you're going to buy, go through there. would be very helpful to us. And help us also by subscribing via iTunes and leaving a comment. You can also subscribe on Stitcher. Uh, We also have uh, links on the homepage, top right-hand side there to our Stitcher, our RSS feed, if that isn't working for you, if you have a different uh, podcasting program that you want to use. I know that people have contacted me that are using an Android program that isn't Stitcher, and obviously they're not using iTunes, and they couldn't get it to work. So what we recommend is just subscribing to the RSS feed, which you'll find in the top right-hand corner of... The Mars Attacks Radio homepage. And you'll also find on that same top right-hand corner and further on down on the right-hand side, you'll find links to the Facebook, Google+, Twitter, so on and so forth. Please like us. Please help spread the word. It just means that this show keeps going. And, And leave your comments up there. It goes a long way to letting me know that You know, you guys are digging the show and, you know, what type of stuff you want to hear. You know, what people you want to hear interviewed, so on and so forth. So there you go. Let's get into a little music. Uh, Before we get into the episode with Monty, I do want to play some music that he was involved with while in prong. This is off of the Scorpio Rising album. The name of this track is Avoid Promises.
There you go. Avoid promises by prong off of the album Scorpio Rising. Remember to support the bands you love. If you don't buy their music, if you don't see them in concert, if you don't buy the t-shirts, they won't continue to play. <laughs> That's why you see so many bands that uh, you see members say, well, you know, uh, I'm going to get a, a day job now or I'm leaving the music industry because of this or because of that. People aren't buying music. People aren't supporting, you know, these bands, so they're not putting out music. So help Monty out, help Prong out, buy their stuff. Let's get on with another track, or let's go to another track by Prong. Name of this track is Worst of It, and this is off of the Power of the Damager album. Thanks for the 
All right, so there you go, a little prong with worst of it coming off of power of the damager. Let's get into a little music by Monty Pittman. Name of this track is Blood, Hungry, Thirst. And then right after that, we'll get into the interview with Monty Pittman. Yeah. 
So joining us today is Monty Pittman. Uh, he's recently released an album uh, called The Power of Three. And we're going to ask him a few questions regarding the album and a few other things regarding his career. Uh, Monty, thanks for joining us. Hey, Victor. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So uh, right off the bat, your previous solo work dabbles a lot more in an acoustic background, maybe alt-rock you could consider it, but the power of three is definitely hard rock and metal. What made you take this direction for the album? Uh, well, when I did my first album, that was all acoustic, so I could recreate that anywhere. Okay. And, you know, I, I was running into a wall booking a show and then you know, ha having people not be available to do those shows because here in Los Angeles, everybody's so busy always doing something. You can't just sit around. And as those shows progressed, uh, it, it eventually led to me playing with a band. And then from there, it, it just it just kind of went back to the to all the heavy material. I started writing all this heavy stuff, and that's. Um, that's where everything from the Power Three came from, you know, from playing an acoustic show and then thinking, all right, now we I need some faster songs, need some heavier songs, and and then it just kind of it um it kind of worked itself out. When I started working with Fleming Rasmussen, he I gave him all my demos and we were going to record together, and he was like, well, I want to record this heavy stuff with you. This is what you need to be doing, and so that's that's what really that's where it all kind of came back to. And I, I had a heavy band when I, I grew up in Texas, and right. and you know since I was fourteen, I had a heavy band there. And we did a little bit of everything too. I guess it's kind of a reoccurring theme in my life is to play play something, but still kind of have a lot of other styles of music that I like to play. Gotcha. Okay. And why Fleming? I, well, I met I met Fleming on a on a day off when I was in, on tour. Okay. And so that's where everything kind of, you know, where that came from. Um, I, it was in Copenhagen, and I wanted to go check out Sweet Silent Studios. And because I, mean, I was sitting around with nothing to do, I was like, "Wait, Sweet Silent Studios is here. I should go just like, maybe see if I can just check out the studio." And that's how I. That's how the. Um, the journey began, you know, then I, I, I made contact with Fleming and, and invited him out to a show. And then when I would, we, we would stay in contact and when I'd come back into town, we'd get together, have a couple of beers or whatever. And, and uh, we, we would end it saying, Hey, well, one day we got to record something together. And then the next time I was in, he said, Hey, you want me to fire up the studio? Let's record something. And I had a batch of really stripped down acoustic songs that we did all in one day, and then he said, you got to come back and, and do these heavy songs. And that was the perfect uh, place for me to go after what I had done. Because, I mean, I love acoustic music. Acoustic bands, like Ray Fontaine and uh, yes, I love that stuff. And, you know, I'll, I'll do more of that in the future again. But live, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> Because you're plugging in the acoustic direct, and it's it's still fun, but nothing beats turning, you know, taking your electric guitar and putting it into the amp and cranking it up. That's got to sure. be the best. 
Sure. How, how long were the songs that appear on The Power of Three floating around? Uh, I'm assuming that based on what you're telling me, uh, th- some of these tracks have been around for, for some time now. Uh, a couple of parts had been, but for the, the most part, was uh, I wrote all these songs on a camping trip out in Death Valley over a weekend. I wrote like 14 songs couple of the acoustic ones that I've recorded and then uh, all these heavy ones. And I wrote them kind of on an acoustic. Or, you know, I've had some, I had some riffs here that I liked and I had some here. And it all just kind of maybe just getting away and being clear. It, everything just started coming together. And then I started writing about whatever I was seeing in front of me and just kind of whatever is around. And then you may have one line that's in one song and then, Later on, you go, oh, wait, no, that fits better in this song here. Or you right. change one word because you've been using the same, you've been ending the line with the same word. And so you change that, and that changes the meaning of the song, and that may inspire something else. But for A Dark Horse and Delusions of Grandeur, I had some of those riffs, you know, for a while, for a few years, but it didn't go with anything. When I played in prong, it didn't fit with the prongs, with any of the prong material. And uh, all this fan love and war, I had kind of a version of that. So there was a few things that I that I had for a while, but the, the majority of it all came together out in Death Valley over a weekend, and then I just started working on demos for it. And I'd make one group of demos, and then I would that would that would inspire me to change something or to take it another direction. And then you start seeing how it all fits together, and I just keep keep working on it. And then that's when I send it to Fleming, and I uh, said I want to you know here's all the stuff you know that I want to do, but here, you know check out these heavy songs also, and that's what he really liked. Cool. And as far as how the album was recorded with Fleming, was it done? digitally or, or was it done on tape and and the reason why i ask that is because a lot of newer albums that you listen to they're done all digitally and they sound very like linear with this album the drums really feel alive it really sounds like you have a drummer in the room with you um it harkens back to a lot of albums from you know the late 70s or, or early 80s where you know, you had a lot of great recordings with bands sounding like they were right in front of you when you were listening to the album. Yeah, we did everything all analog, recorded on tape, um, you know, the same way that Fleming would have made an album, you know, back in the day. Right. Um, and he still has all that same equipment. So, it, you know, it's the same microphones and a lot of the same gear that he made Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets with. Rainbow, Cat Stevens, um, you know, or anything that he would have made there in Copenhagen. Right. You, you can hear like some familiar tones just from him knowing his equipment, and you know, it's the same vocal mic that you know the vocals are done on. You know, Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, and same guitar mics and everything. We recorded all together in the same room mm-hmm. at the same time. So we had the guitars, you know, the the amps isolated in one room, the bass isolated in another room, and we all got as close to the drum set as you could get with our headphones on. And and uh, you know, if, if anyone made a mistake, which was not often, 
I mean, because we all you know knew what we were going to be recording from the demos, and then just kind of elaborate on it. But if if anything, you know, if we missed up, if we missed anything, we would just start over and just record again. There wasn't any uh, repairing anything in the mix or fixing something in the mix. It was all you know done right then and there. Now, was that your idea, or was that Fleming's that was, idea? That was all Fleming's idea. He even told me that he used a tape that he never used on Master of Puppets. I don't know if he was just trying to get me pumped up, but then again, <laughs> he has the strangest things in his studio. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that is the guy who made it. So he, it was a tape that was that was set up, cued to record when they did Master of Puppets, but was never used. Well, it used. wasn't set up, it was one that he never used. He goes, oh, you know, this is from the Master of Puppets days. I never used this tape. <laughs> he goes, well, <laughs> we use this one on your album. I said, sure. <laughs> now, now you have to hook up with someone else that uh, recorded in his studio to see if that same story comes up every time. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> great way to get, hey, it's a great way to get you pumped up. Yeah, absolutely. How much of an input did Max and Kane have into the recording of the album? Did they have, you know, a lot of freedom when it came to interpreting what was done with the original demos and then put on to the, the final finished version? Or was it pretty much uh, regimented to what you had envisioned? No, I, I want it to be their, you know, their take on it. You know, so I, I put the, you know, I did a, I wrote everything, but then said, you know, how would you play this? You know, how I'm programming the drums may not be how an actual drummer is going to play that. So how would that work? Right. And and so we'd do things like that. Or I'd tell Max, like, here's the initial bass line, here's the root notes, but then throw in little, you know, you know, the little, you know, bass fills and all that stuff, however you would play this. So I wanted to, right. you know, it, it is a band. It's my name, but it is a band. You know, everybody is included. Gotcha. It's okay. not like, a, hey, I'm the singer, and you know, you all get back in the dark and turn the lights off, so no one can see them. You know, it's all, it's everybody. Right. Okay, and you had two legendary performers also involved with the album. You had Alex Skolnick and Chris Barnes. Uh, why did you choose to include the two of them in the album? The, well, I wanted to have some guests that were friends of mine on, on the last song and all is fair and love and war. And Alex has played with us a couple of times. Um, you know, like when we're in the same city and, um, we could just kind of do whatever over the songs. And then he was, he was in town, he was in LA, uh, doing some, he got his own signature amplifier with Buddha amps. And uh, I went and met him where he was doing some interviews and just, put a mic on his cabinet because uh, he had his rig already set up. So I put a mic on his cabinet, put some headphones on him and said, here, just go for it. And whatever. And said, sharp. <laughs> and he just kind of, he just knocked it out in you know, five minutes. And then for Chris Barnes, um, then I, you know, I sent him the tracks and he just did his part in the, when he was in his studio and then sent it back to me. And then I gave I gave those I sent those to Fleming so he could kind of put his you know reverbs and delays and his kind of atmosphere that he's known for on it. So that that's how that came about. You crowdfunded previous albums, but this album came out on Metal Blade. How important was it for you to put this out on a label 
like Metal Blade? Well, actually, I did a Kickstarter for this originally. It got it got seven grand, which okay. you know that's that's nothing to sneeze at. And uh, I, I launched it right before Christmas, which I would never suggest to anyone. And uh, and I knew that, but I knew I, I figured you know if we get anything that could at least help, you, know, you got to get flights, you got to have a place to stay there, and you got to ship the gear. And that's, that pretty much took up you know the Kickstarter funds right there. Um, so, but it, after it was done, after the album was recorded, I was going to have um, dinner with Brian Slagle. And until I said, hey, what do I, you know, if I want to play this, I just recorded with Fleming, and what do I do with this? I don't want to release this on my own. There's got to be somebody out there who um, who would, even if it was some small label that no one's ever heard of before, just to get, you know, just to get some sort of little push. And when I played it for him, he, you know, thinking that this was not heavy enough for metal weight, he, uh, he heard it and he said this, you know, he said, I, I'm, you know, I, I'd sign this. He said, "Just you know, send it to me. Let's let's talk." And that's then that just happened. It's like I played it, played it for him, and the next thing I know, we're talking about you know signing me to Metal Blade. Interesting. Okay. One of the, yeah, I mean, I had no idea. I, I thought I would just get his advice, and then he he, he liked it. And, and that was more or less because I mean, one thing that I did want to mention before that I sort of skipped over here out of my questions. Uh, the the album does really have you know different flavors to it it's got a very metal feel it's got a very hard rock feel at some point it's even got a a 90s feel to it did you feel that you know not all the material held up to the metal blade standard uh and that's why you were sort of hesitant yeah i guess because i think of it as like cannibal corpse and like a really heavy band i I always knew that maybe there was a possibility but i mean that that thought didn't even really cross my mind um, but the the way that the different styles came about, I mean, I like all of those styles of music. Right. And I, I wanted to make the ultimate album that I would have had when I was 14. You know, if I could go back in time and say, here, listen to this. This has everything all wrapped up in one. Um, but we recorded the album in order. So A Dark Horse, that's us in the same room and we had just gotten off the plane coming from um, coming from L.A. And, the, and we started recording the first day. So when you get to the more stripped down stuff, like song number five, On My Mind, is more of a, you know, I call that just like a, a rock track. It's, you know, it's, it's just about the song. Even for the solo, there's no crazy solo. It just follows the melody. Right. And... And that's because once we got to that point of the recording, it's like, okay, I think we need, let's give the listener and ourselves a little bit of a break. Because if you just go going at 220 beats per minute, every song, the listener gets, you know, gets used to that. And then it becomes, then it becomes stale. So you you have to have balance in, in songwriting and in your recordings and in your playing. And it amazes me that more people don't don't take that approach. I mean, a lot of people seem to think that the album format is dead. And one of the reasons I feel that the album format may be dead is because everything is, is as you've said, you know, the first song starts out at, 
you know, 200 beats per minute, and all 10 tracks are like that. There's really nowhere to go with it. Exactly. You have to balance it out a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, when, you know, if you think about, like, what you said about how people make albums now, it's all digital, it's all in Pro Tools. You can take a, a, a bridge to a song, and you can loop it to where you can record it over and over again to get it just right. And everything is almost... It can be too perfect. You know, right. you, you replace the drum sounds and to where there's a lot of things that sounds like it's the same amp and it's the same drummer and the same... It's not like it's the same band on all these different recordings. <laughs> and right. and so that's something that you know that makes it a little different. Because how many people are making albums? You, you have a bunch of songs and a bunch of little parts, but I, I don't know of too many people who go in there and say, okay, we know this is going to be the album. Here's track one. Here's track seven. All right, let's start at track one, hit record, and just start knocking it out. That way, the as the listener is listening, the album is growing you know, as you're recording it and playing it. That's why on All This Fair and Love and War, where that's the last song, and you're like, okay, let's just kind of have some parts where we're going to jam in the studio and just kind of be in the moment. I did. I did my uh, last album, Pain, Love, and Destiny, that way. Also, I you know recorded the whole thing in order. Like here's the first song, and it just kept going. I think because from making a demo, I know what it's going to be, and so you might as well just start at the top. That way, you don't forget anything as you go along, and it starts unfolding. It starts un- the story starts unfolding as you go along too. So, so you see it more like a uh, uh, like a soundtrack where you're presenting a whole idea as opposed to just one individual track at a time yeah and that, that's how i that's how i look at albums um kind of like a movie like i wonder if one day people are just gonna buy scenes from movies <laughs> <laughs> you know like how people just buy one song off of an album right yeah <laughs> that's that's you funny just hit one scene and just watch that like okay it could make sense, actually, if you think about it, because there's some movies where you just want to see that one scene and you could have that. Well, who knows? Right. Someone builds a movie up, you know, for you or the trailer. There's that one funny scene and there's nothing else good in the movie. So you just want to purchase the one scene. I, I guess. That's, that's true. Who knows? That could, that could maybe on to something with that. The first time that I was introduced to you, you were playing with a band that you mentioned a little earlier with Prong. How did you yeah. get involved? with prong i just moved to los angeles from texas and i worked at the guitar center in hollywood because i needed to have a job and i wanted to work with you know get, get as close to music as i could get and that's the best thing i could think of and this girl that worked in the drum department was dating ivan DePrune, who used to play drums for white zombie right he was jamming with tommy victor at the time me and Ivan became friends. He was telling me he was jamming with Tommy. Kong was one of my favorite bands, still is. And so he put me and Tommy together. And I went over to Tommy's place and just just talking about some ideas. And I was uh, I was tuning up. He was showing me his guitar. There was something wrong with one of his guitars, and he was asking if I could fix it. And I'm tuning up his guitars, and we're talking about songs. And then he started talking, saying, We could do this, this, this. And I said, we? What do you mean? I said, does that mean I have a gig? He goes, yeah. I was like, all right. <laughs> so I left his place as a member of the prom. And 
we got together and we, we started playing and working up all the songs, but that's right around the time I started teaching Madonna. And okay. then I started following her around wherever she would go because she would have me giving her lessons like three or four times a week. And I mean, traveling wherever she would go, she just started treating me like family immediately. And, um, and, and then I went on tour with her and then I came back and then I, then I kind of, then uh, I came back to prong kind of by accident. Every time it's kind of been by accident. And then went on tour with, uh, went on tour with him. Hmm. Are you still in contact with Tommy? Oh yeah, absolutely. We saw each other a couple of weeks ago. Um, they've got a new album that's coming out now, Ruining Lives. It's a tour yeah. date's coming up. I think the new album's awesome. I love it. Yeah, was. Really good. It's like, to me, it reminds me of, um, kind of like Rude Awakening. Kind of like that sound, if that was like fast. It's like if you put that and Prove Wrong together in a way. Mm-hmm. Not to compare it to anything because it's a new direction, but it's still prong. But yeah, I, I love it. Great sounds, great songs, great performances. Dan's doing really good right now, so that's good. Yeah, absolutely. I've enjoyed the album as well. Big. Yeah, as long as they're playing, as long as he's out there playing. You've obviously worked with a diverse crowd of artists outside of hard rock and metal. Have you ever encountered someone coming up to you and questioning your metal cred because you have played with Madonna or people like that? Uh, there's always been people who who have said that. There, you know, with the Madonna thing, there when that when some of those things first happened, and you'll I've seen this a lot with her is that people, like people more on the metal side. Yeah, I don't see this really anymore, but you used to see this where people would you know say that's not cool, but then years later that same thing they think is cool. Right. So I don't know if it's something that needs to digest with them or what, but. At the end of the day, a lot of people will say, well, you know, there's something that you like. You know, if it's um, Lucky Star or <laughs> Ray of Light, you know, there's some, something down right. the line that somebody likes somewhere or, you know, their, or their girlfriend likes it. <laughs> sure, right. <laughs> Do you encounter the opposite where people from the pop world say, ah, oh, you know, it's that metal guy, you know, where maybe you aren't as accepted initially because of that? Um. No, I, I, everything, if there is anything like that, I don't pay any attention to it, so I don't, not really sure. But it, you know, everybody it, like Madonna's fans have always been really cool about it, very supportive too. Like they come out to my shows, huh. and it's what's cool is my shows. I've got all kinds of people there, you know, right. kind of every um, people who have found me from different things that I've done. And all partying together, all having a good time together, which is really cool. Yeah, that's There's awesome. There's no sort of, oh, you're not metal, you go over there, you're not cool. It's <laughs> very, you know, everybody's welcome. When I interviewed John Oliva and asked him about Trans-Siberian Orchestra and how that played into his career, he basically told me that Trans-Siberian Orchestra allowed him to put food on the table and allowed him to pretty much record and release anything he wanted. Does your work with Madonna, would you consider that similar? Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, um, you know, that gig has got to be one of the best gigs available. 
you know, for playing with someone else if you're if it's not doing your own band. And yeah, I mean, one one you know, I said before, like I, that's kind of a reoccurring theme in my life. But her, you know, all of her music, you 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 wind up playing just about every style, right? You know, there's only a few things that we haven't done. I mean, there's been some things that even borderline country, and there's uh, we, there's there's times where we there's you know distorted guitars, you know, like a, you know, dare I say, heavy guitars, but right. There's actually in the song "She's Not Me" that we did on the Sticky and Sweet tour. At the end of that song, she's like, "Mom, give me the heaviest sound you got." And so I crank the distortion up all the way on my amp and. And she's like, no, I'm heavier than that, because she's like going crazy, like at the, at the, <laughs> at the, at the, at the end of the ramp, and so she right. wanted that to be like really like heavy, and so I had to go get a new distortion pedal for that part. <laughs> so there's things like that, and uh, a lot of acoustic stuff, a lot of clean guitar stuff, a lot of you know what I call like atmosphere stuff, where. The effects processor is doing all the work, and they just hit like one note, but that's making the sound. There's even times where I've used a guitar synth, or like a, you know, the same sound recreating a keyboard or a synth, and playing that just to kind of go with the the two keyboard players, just to have some, you know, so there's so they're doing something. There's the classic clip of her playing a new level by Pantera, which obviously a lot of people have associated to you. Correct me if I'm wrong. Apparently that clip originally, or one of the first clips that surfaced, was right after Dimebag had been shot on stage. How conscious was she of that event, and was that a reason, or was that the reason why you guys were playing that? That was about four or five years after that. That was the Sticky and Fleet <laughs> Tour, which okay. is 2008, 2009. Um, and that came from, you know, things I was showing her in guitar lessons and a song that we were going to do. Well, her song, Hung Up, is in D minor. So I was showing that to her and, you know, dropped D tuning on the guitar where you just tune the top string down to a D. And then you can right. make your chord just with one finger. She, and that, and that, you know, that's great for her because she's got so many other things she's got to think about. The right. less that she has to think about playing, you know, the, the better, really. And I was um, showing her some some right hand techniques, and then t- telling her the story about uh, Dimebag had come to a prong show, and we were talking about prong songs. He was uh, he was telling me some things that later on, you know, completely changed my playing when I realized what he was saying. He was saying, you know, you got to stay on top of the string when you're playing fast. Meaning that the pick, you know, when you play fast, you, your pick is at a far, it, it can be away from the string where it, where it doesn't need to be. So you kind mm-hmm. of tighten that up, so to speak. <laughs> Might be exactly what he said, but... Um, and so I showed that to Madonna, and then the next day she comes back and she's like, "Check this out!" And and her playing had had improved, you know, drastically of what that did to her right hand. <laughs> and so from there, I started showing her a new level, and then I was telling her about I was telling her the whole story about everything about how well, from, mainly about how 
that they were kind of the hometown heroes where I grew up. And then right. they made it, and the Al Pinter I mean, means something different to me than a lot of other people because that was the band you'd always hear about as a kid, you know, back in the project and the jungle days and the metal magic and power metal, all that. And, um, and she just kept playing that riff and it's, it stayed as a set. I didn't think, I figured it wouldn't get approved. Like huh. they would, I figured Pantera was like, no way. But that was, the, they said that was the easiest, and honest people said that was the easiest uh, clearance they've ever had. Wow. <laughs> but it was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> Play it. So it was a little bit of it. It was a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah. To answer your question, it, it all came from all of the story, not just one. It wasn't just as a, you know, it's not just a tribute because, you know, he passed away. It's more of a tribute to everything he created when he was here in physical form. Yeah. And I mean, I've read all types of stories about Diamond Vinny checking out Duran Duran and, and all types of things where their mentality was as long as there's music around that they want to absorb it. So, yeah. you know, it would only make sense that they would want others to enjoy their music regarding, you know, yeah. the surrounding or the setup, you know? Yeah, Diamond Rita came to a, a show in Vegas on the Drown World Tour back in 2001. And a huh. friend, a fr my best friend was there. He goes, dude, Diamond just walked by. He was here at the show. I was like, no way. And then later, Rita was saying something. She said, she "Tell me." She's like, "Yeah, we went to a show in Vegas." I was like, "Wow, I thought my friend was seeing something, <laughs> having hallucinations." But you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, whether it would be Pantera or Madonna, or I'm sure you could say the same about U2 or Paul McCartney. A lot of people like that like a lot of different things, or they appreciate right. it. To be that caliber of a musician, as a performer, as an artist, there's not too many people who would just go, I only listen to Slayer. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> even those guys will tell you that, you know, they listen to something else, you know? Yeah, e even if it's intriguing to them of, okay, this is big, what makes this work? You know, why do sure. so many people like this? If it's just that sort of... Uh, intrigued to them, that, even if it's that alone. But. Yeah, cool. Yeah, like Madonna's always listening to something. She's always, and she always has been. If you look back at her career, she's always into something new. She never really stays in one place. Right when you think you've got her figured out, she goes the other way. Very cool. Um, you've done a lot of, or you've been a part of a lot of amazing shows. You've been part of Live Eight. You've been part of the Super Bowl. Uh, is there one specific show that sticks out in your mind? Uh, well, Live Earth. Um, that was on. That that was the the last of the the live aids that that have happened. Um, but I got was well. That's when Spinal Tap played, and they invited anybody who could play bass to come play with them. And it just so happened when I walked out on the stage and grabbed the cable and plugged in and turned around and looked to my left and there's James Hetfield and to my right is Kirk Hammett. So I'm right in between the two guys from Metallica playing on stage at Wembley Stadium playing with Spinal Tap. That was that one is that's as good as it gets for me, I think. That would be my all time coolest moment. <laughs> Very cool. 
can you tell us a little bit about your gear and does your gear change from when you're doing uh, the power of three as opposed to when you're doing work with Madonna? Does it change all that drastically? I try to keep everything close to the same. So everything is dialed in for whatever the next thing I'm doing is. So okay. I try not to have, you know, for whatever my guitar is going to be for my show, I want that guitar perfect, you know, for for either one. But for amps, I use Orange amps. I've been with Orange for over 10 years now. And I played, I played an Orange. I, at first I thought, well, there were two things. I thought it would be a perfect amp for Madonna because it had great clean sounds and great distorted sounds. And also for the kind of band I wanted to start at the time. That's kind of when I when a lot of this started. It's just taken a while to get where it is now. Is to say, okay, I, I want to, you know, the reason I moved out to L.A. is either to start a band or join a band, but to play music and be able to do it professionally. And so I've been with Orange for that long. Um, different effects over the years, but mainly Dunlop and MXR. A couple of, you know, boutique pedals maybe. Um, strings or uh, Dunlop, I mean, I'm sorry, the Dario strings. Those are the only ones I've had that have never broken. And they make great electric strings and acoustic strings. Um, for guitars... Um, Jarrell Guitars made me a signature model, and I had been with them the last few years, but I just recently uh, joined up with ESP, and I'm going to be oh. going to be an ESP guy now, and uh, really excited about that. I love what they've got coming up. They have a new line uh, called the E2s, which uh, and they've got this guitar called the FRX, which is like something I've never seen before. And that's what got me hooked with them, and uh, and it's that, that's perfect for what I'm doing now and, and for the new music that I'm writing and, and where that, all that's going. What was it like to put the signature model together? Uh, there was a lot of you know throwing the ball back and forth, so to speak, of um, me wanting something out of a guitar and Philip Jarrell wanting to try something with a guitar. I mean, that's um, it's just a lot of ideas back and forth and trying this, trying that. Gotcha. Okay. And with the SP, you've gone through that entire process already? No, no, no. I, I'm not I'm, I'm not doing a signature with, with the SP. Oh, okay. I'm just, I'm just going to start. I mean, I like to change things up every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And um, now is that time again. Gotcha. You know, okay. you, you may get to one point, you know, because flying never stays the same, you know, you know, hopefully you're right. always kind of evolving. <laughs> right. And, and that's, you know, that's where it is right now. Seymour Duncan, oh, Seymour Duncan pickups also, I didn't mention that. That's a huge, um, huge component in the sound. Any specific Seymour uh, Duncan? It's been a lot of different ones and mainly custom shop stuff with, with MJ at the, at the custom shop. I used to, you know, starting out I used you know, certain pickups, but I, I found myself always, you know, switching them out. And now I need this sound and this sound and kind of explain to MJ what I was looking for. And then she started making me some stuff. And eventually we we're talking about doing a, 
uh, a signature uh, pickup set. I don't know if I should say that publicly, but why not? But, and, and it's not going to happen anytime soon because there's still a lot of, well, what if we do this? What if we do that? You know, just kind of throwing the ball back and forth, I guess you could say. That's the best way to put it. Exchanging ideas and trial and error. You know, you may think something's a great idea, and then you listen back, and it's like, okay, well, maybe you're right on this one. Maybe we shouldn't do this. So you get it just right. I had read online that you'd previously had Kelly Rhodes, Randy Rhodes' brother, play on uh, one of your albums. Um, next month, I'm actually featuring the Blizzard of Oz as a uh, classic album on um, my podcast. Oh, yeah. And I just wanted to you know, get your comments on uh, Randy Rhodes playing and what the Blizzard of Oz uh, means to you. Yeah, well... Uh, Kelly and I became friends because I used to take lessons from them all. And Kelly and I started taking <laughs> piano lessons at the same time. So I took piano and, and music theory. I, I, I was really taking the music theory, but through the piano. And then Kelly right. has stayed with it, and he's gotten really good. And mm-hmm. um, he, he was a singer. He used to be the singer and you because know, Randy played guitar. Right. And, the, you know, there's a lot. I, now listening back, if you listen back to Blizzard of Oz, I hear so many things that that I've heard from Dolores Rhodes. It's like a it's like a certain information, I guess you could say, or a different approach to looking at the notes or a different way of, um, of, of thinking about the notes. It's just a different thought process. And um, Kelly's got that information too and the he recorded he did uh, he did piano on three songs on pain love and destiny and we used we recorded there in usonia on the piano that their mom learned how to play on which is really cool that's the piano that you hear in the album and um so kelly and i have you know become really good friends over the you know, this is what, you know, almost 15 years ago when all that started. And um, but Blizzard of Oz is you know that is it's a, it's not something that you may even see ever happen again where you have someone you know like Ozzy coming out of Black Sabbath, but then doing where you think that you know it's all over, but then having their solo album become you know, just massive and, and groundbreaking. And, you know, a lot of music that happened in the 80s, a lot of the guitar players, if you listen back, you know, they got a lot of those techniques and a lot of those tricks from listening to Randy. Sure, there there are a lot of thrash players that I know harken back to, say, uh, Revelation Mother Earth as being, you know, the pinnacle of, you know, a lot of the the thrash movement and how song structures were created after that. At least that's what I've read, you know, over the years. Yeah, and a lot of that came from, you know, his classical sort of training, I guess you could say, or, you know, that approach to the notes. You know, there's only so many notes. It's what you're saying with those notes and the what combination of notes you're putting together. Like one of the things that he's mo- that Randy's most known for uh, like the Mr. Crowley solo uses the harmonic minor scale. And so you would get, you know, a lot of people started doing that afterwards. Still now, 
Yeah. Which is something you didn't really hear a lot of. We didn't hear Hendrix play that scale a lot. Or maybe he did, and it was, you know, it was kind of hidden. But that was all kind of, back then it was all kind of blues stuff. And if you look at the progression of how music's turned into one thing or another, you know, it comes from taking the blues and just how far can you take it. And that's how we have, you know, the, the rock music that we have. And it's putting other elements in there. Now, had Randy only listened to one kind of music, that may have never happened. You know, if he only listened to Slayer, and that was it. I know Slayer didn't exist then. But... <laughs> and I'm sure he influenced them. <laughs> yeah, 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 oh, exactly, yeah. Like, if you go back and listen to, you know, a lot of uh, Iron Maiden and Judas Priest, you hear a lot of, the kind of idea that Slayer took and elaborated on. You know, one thing always turns into another. There's a saying that I like to use a lot is you got to take the music past where you found it. As we've touched upon, you've worked with plenty of different people over the years. If you could pick one current performer that you've never worked with and one that has passed away that you never got to work with, uh, which two names would you select? Mm. Uh, does it have to be heavy? No. Anyone at all. Well, yeah, if there's one, then I could. Uh, I'd probably be Ozzy. And what I would do okay. is, is I would get Kelly. I'd get Kelly Rhodes, me, Kelly, and Ozzy in a room and just come up with some stuff and let Kelly's you know, musical information kind of guide it. Do something like that. But Ozzy's back with Black Sabbath now. You know, as it should be. I just saw them play last weekend, and that was amazing. They they blew me away. I did not think that show was going to be as good as it was. Um, but I'm a huge Fred Lamontagne fan. I have been. You know, I love his, his acoustic stuff. I look at him as like a, a Neil Young of today, I guess you could say. Now, he does a lot of different stuff, though. But, I mean, he that's somebody that, that sticks out. So I guess if you could just pick two people. I mean, I, I usually like writing with, you know, people that I'm already friends with and that are cool. Sure. You know, like Alex Stolmaker, Chris Barnes. Sure. Or, you know, or, you know, Max and Kane in my, my band, or Tommy Victor. That's usually how it goes. But I, I would write or play with just about anybody because you never know what's going to come out. Right now I'm writing, sure. right now I'm writing with uh, this guy, M.C. Lars. He's been on huh, okay. uh, a lot of warp tours, and he's a hip hop guy. But it, the, the lyrics are—it's very clever and it's funny. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, but it's it's not just a joke. But we've been writing some stuff that's actually really heavy. It's <laughs> some of the heaviest music I've ever written. But that's where he's going with some of his ideas, and it makes complete sense, and it works with the music that he's done before. <laughs> That's kind of funny in that way. <laughs> cool. So if people want to find out about that project or anything else that you have working on, where should they go? Uh, mainly if you follow me on Twitter, at Monty Pittman, M-O-N-T-E-P-I-T-T-M-A-N, you're going to see everything there. Or on my Facebook page, um, MontyPittman.com. So anywhere, anywhere around there, I mean, it's, 2014 now, so I'm sure if you just Google Monty Pittman, 
find the best place to go at that moment. Hey everybody, this is Monty Pittman and you're listening to Mars Attack.
That was a little before the morning sun coming off of Monty Pittman's The Power of Three. Want to thank Monty and John Freeman for making that interview happen. Like I mentioned previously, the next interview will feature Tommy Victor of Prong. Hope to have that out to you within the next few days. At least that's the plan at the moment. So... There you go. Hope you enjoy your Memorial Day weekend and support the bands you love. Support your local soldier. Have plenty of family members that have served in the U.S. Armed Forces over the last few decades. So as my good man or good buddy Z-Man always does, thank them for your and ours and my freedom. So there you go. Thanks again. We'll leave you with a little more Monty Pittman. This is a dark horse. See you next time right here on the Mars Attacks podcast.
Thank you for listening to Mars Attacks. To follow the radio show and podcast, like us on Facebook by going to Facebook forward slash Mars Attacks Radio. You'll find us on Twitter also. Follow us at Mars Aries 2005. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher, or just go to MarsAttacksRadio.com to download or stream episodes. Or you can just go to the homepage of MarsAttacksRadio.com to find out more about the radio show and podcast. This concludes our show.